0: You don't know flag. You don't know flag. Welcome to You Don't Know Flag, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Episode 155, Cassettes. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is January 1st, 2015, so Happy New Year. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about cassette tapes. Before we get started talking about cassette tapes, it's ironic that today's show is about cassette tapes because I actually recorded this week's episode on a cassette tape, which is connected to a data set, which is connected to my Commodore 64. So I'm going to load this episode back over, uh, and while this is loading over, we have a few minutes to chat during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, Happy New Year's. Welcome to 2015. Uh, I hope everybody had a safe and happy holidays. Uh, I had a great Christmas. Uh, My uh, kids are 9 and 13, so they are the perfect age for Christmas. My son, uh, he's the perfect age for gifts where you can. Uh, build things, assemble things, put things together, make things out of other things. We got him a an Arduino, which he has just jumped into. He's starting to learn how to program and do that and um, he also got a uh, this thing called a makey makey, which is basically it's kind of like um a USB keyboard interface, but instead of being a keyboard, it's like a little bread box with uh, alligator clips, and you can hook up. So basically you can make anything into a computer interface. On the uh, video uh, on YouTube for for Makey Makey, there's a example of a guy turning a banana into a gamepad controller. So he's actually holding a, a real banana and pressing different parts on it to make it into a game controller. And so uh, Mason has been just wiring up all – I mean, it's – I can't tell you how cool it is to walk in and see your kid, uh, connecting, you know, alligator clips to different things and, and, uh, <laughs> wiring stuff up and showing you that they've done something that you don't necessarily understand how they did. That's a, uh, that's kind of weird, but I love it. Uh, And my daughter is, um, she's starting to get into girly things. She's nine, and and she loved getting makeup this year and doing different things. She also uh, loved getting an iPad this year. But uh, you know, man, it's it's so different. We were just talking about this last night during New Year's. uh, You know, and now I'm the grumpy parent, like I was the cool the 20 something not so long ago, it seems. And then I was the sort of cool 30 something. And now I'm the 40 year old parent, 41 year old parent. And I'm yelling at everybody. I'm like, can you just get off Instagram for 30 seconds? and watch this ball drop. God, you know, (laughs) it's so hard to wrangle the technology out of their little figures. They love it, you know? And, uh, I don't know. It's, um, It's annoying to me sometimes, like we're in the car, you know, and you're like, hey, did you see that accident? Did you see that? Look at that building. And you look and nobody will look up from their electronics, not even the driver. It's very very annoying to me. Uh, Last night was New Year's Eve. And uh, if this lets you know what big partiers we are, uh, it is um, just before 7 a.m. on New Year's Day. Um, We have not gone out. My, my dad used to always refer to as new year's Eve as amateur night. That's the night where the amateurs go out and drink. So it's kind of better to be off the roads and out of uh, public places like that. So, um, uh, before we had kids, we would either throw a new year's Eve party or go to a new year's Eve party. And since having kids, then we tend to kind of stick around the house. Um, and, uh, we're actually having some friends over tonight. I'm looking forward to that. And, um, I, I'm, you know, more than that, I'm looking forward to 2015 in general. You know, I, um, I did a lot of cool stuff in 2014. I went on a lot of trips. Um, I was just, uh, if you haven't checked out my blog lately, I just wrote a post a couple of days ago, uh, summing up all the things we did in 2014. And I was like, didn't we go on vacation? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I talk to myself like that when I'm writing blog posts. I'm like, yeah, we went to California. We drove all the way to California from Oklahoma. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, we also drove to Florida. And then we drove down to Austin, Texas, and we drove to Denver, Colorado. Not all on the same trip. That would be insane. But um, so, you know, we took lots of trips last year. I got lots of things. I got I to gotta tell you. I've had some big goals, you know, I have some goals, uh, in regards to books. You know, I think I mentioned that I've, I've finished writing gastric steps. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm editing it, but it, that needs to be finished so I can move on to the next project. You know, I have podcast goals that I want to do. Um, I want to continue doing this show. I've been, I've started a new, uh, show about, um, classic retro, uh, heavy metal and, and hard rock called rusted metal. Uh, I do that with my buddy Zurb. You can find that on, uh, it's on the throwback network, or you can go to zerbinator.wordpress.com if you want to just find that show by itself. But, um, you know, I did, um, I did a lot of small type goals, but I didn't, I didn't finish big goals, you know, and I kind of feel like, um, Hmm, what's a good way to put it? You ever get sidetracked? I do this all the time, and I—it's I, partly uh, ADD, and it's partly—I uh, think early onset Alzheimer's, which I'm <laughs> convinced myself that I've had for at least ten years now. Um, but I will start on something uh, like you know cleaning a room or something, and I'll pick up something and take it to the other room and set it down, and then I'll notice something and I'll be doing that, and and you're completely just you're you've fallen off the path you know what i mean like like you were you were going on this path and then you just sidetracked yourself for a while you know and it's not that the other the other one doesn't uh deserve attention or need to be done you know but it's it's like you just kind of wander off the path for a while and and then you're doing something else and and so this this year you know I'm, i'm getting myself back on the path um you know just trying to set goals and, and move forward. And, uh, so anyway, I am looking forward to 2015 and, uh, really, I'm excited that you guys are going to come along with me. I hope you do. I do intend to podcast more. I'm, uh, you know, setting some goals for as far as blogging and, uh, things like that. So it should be a, a pretty fun adventure. You can follow those adventures, probably through you don't know flack but um you can always uh come along uh go check out com. that's my blog and um so everything that's going on in my life usually ends up on my blog uh i would say find me on facebook but i got to tell you one of my resolutions this year is to do less facebook i'm uh, man i'm a facebook addict i'm uh, just like your mother you know like um <laughs> that's what I. That's the category I put myself in. Like I'm that guy that once I get hooked on Facebook, man, I will sit there and refresh, waiting for new posts and seeing what's going on. You know, and um, I don't think it's necessarily healthy to know every single thing that's going on in someone's life. We always said, you remember when MySpace was huge, and we were like, MySpace is the greatest thing ever, and we all connected, and we everybody found everybody. You found all those people you went to high school with and stuff. But then eventually you kind of got burned out and you're realized everybody has flashy backgrounds and it's kind of crappy. And then we all went to Facebook and, and it's been good. You know what I mean? Like I have met so many friends and stuff on Facebook and, and, uh, shared so many things and pictures and stuff. And, and I'm not saying that I don't ever want to log into Facebook again, you know, but, um, I mean like, have you ever just taken a picture for Facebook? Like I do that all the time. Like I'll, you know, we're out. and I'm like, oh, hold on, we gotta, we gotta get this on Facebook. We're out eating. Let's get this on Facebook. You know, and and um, uh, and then it's like when you see people in real life, you don't have anything to talk about. You know, so I don't know. I just kind of feel like I need a little Facebook break. Um, but uh, you can always find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. Twitter is completely different than Facebook. On Twitter, it's uh, at Commodore. But uh, I was, I was explaining. You know, my son just turned 13. I mentioned that. And uh, the day you turn 13, you can officially get on Facebook. That's Facebook's rules. You're supposed to be 13. And so uh, he got on Facebook and now he's friended a bunch of my friends and stuff. And that's kind of awkward, you know? Um, And it's not that my kid's not a good kid. My kid's a great kid, you know? But it's kind of like, like you ever go to a, a party, like your friends have a party and then you bring your kid and no one else brought their kid. And then you're like, oh, I just brought my kid and let him sit at the adult table, you know, it's kind of like that. Like you're, you know, your friends are commenting on stuff and all of a sudden your kid like pops up and you're like, Whoa, that's kind of (laughs) awkward, you know? And all of a sudden I'm having to watch what I say on Facebook and it's just, um, I don't know. It's definitely different, you know? And so, and then I have to explain to my kid, like, like, look, you know, on my blog, you know, this is what I told him in the car the other day. I said on my blog, I said probably 95% of what I say is true. And part of that's because I'm a storyteller, you know, and so occasionally, you know, you shift things in the story around to make it a better story. I mean, I wouldn't take people out of a story or, or you know, say things that happened that didn't happen or, or um, you know, do things just to prove a point. But, but you do occasionally, you know, if you're a writer, you, you write, you know, and, and you do tweak little things, I guess I would say. Um, and then I'm like, you know, on Facebook, like 75% of what's on there is probably true. And, and it's not, some of it's, um, you know, I'm sure you've posted something just so someone else will see it, you know, or, or, um, you know, you, you take 10 selfies and then you post the one that makes you look, uh, you know, (laughs) the best or whatever, like doesn't show off that second chin or something like that. And, and, um. Or, you know, it's this is, uh, this is actually a scientific thing. I mean, I've read articles about this, that people that are on Facebook too much get depressed. And the reason why is because they're comparing themselves to other people who only post the good things that happen in their life on Facebook, you know. So you're trying to compete with this unrealistic uh, <laughs> bar that people are setting, you know. Oh, I did this and I did this. And then they don't tell you, you know, the bad stuff that's going on or whatever. So – um, you know, you can't just look at Facebook and say, oh, that's someone's reality, you know? But then I, and then I had to tell him, you know, on Twitter, it's like 25% of what I say is true. <laughs> Twitter is like where you get on and you make one liners and jokes and you're funny. Um, <clears throat> you know, and you, you, um, do all kinds of little silly things. I mean, I, I was just posted the other day on Twitter, like all these things about um, my uncle, uh, I forgot what it was like my uncle will or something like that. You know, like funny things about the holiday. I don't have an uncle will. It's just funny, you know, things that you come up with. And, and so, and that's all that stuff is confusing to a kid, you know, cause when they see things online, they think it's, it's the truth. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's uh, interesting to watch another generation come into, uh, uh, the online world. My daughter, um, a few couple of months ago, uh, told, uh, her brother that she was scared. And the reason she was scared is because somebody had posted something scary on her Instagram account and said, if you don't share this, then this guy will come to your house or whatever. And it was a picture of a guy looking in through the blinds, you know, I mean, it's kind of a creepy picture. So then, you know, th- my son told me about this and I have to address this. And first I'm like, okay, she has an Instagram. Like, I don't even know how to do Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to explain to a nine-year-old that what a troll is online. You know what I mean? Like, and and they're like, why would somebody post something that's not true? And you're like, God, if I could answer that, <laughs> who knows? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's, it's difficult. Um, difficult, uh, with kids in today's online world. What are you going to do? I did get some uh, feedback about the previous show, which has been uh, about a month now about, uh, my emulation PC. And one of the things I had mentioned was, uh, if anybody had a, uh, Ouya emulation box or whatever. And several people did. I got an email from Rick Reynolds, a uh, fellow podcaster. If you haven't been checking out Rick's, um, holiday podcast special, uh, it's great, great show. If you love, uh, uh, all those little holiday specials, not just Christmas, but other holidays. And, uh, uh you can find, uh, Rick's, shows over at uh, throwbacknetwork.net. Uh, but Rick said that he does have a Ouya um, and he runs emulators on Atari 2600, ColecoVision, NES, and SNES. Um, and uh, one thing he pointed out was that with an adapter, uh, and I, they do sell these. I have one for the Atari uh, joystick, but they have USB adapters for SNES, Super Nintendo, and Nintendo. And so uh, he just mentioned that with an adapter, you could use the original controllers. And that's a good point. You know, I mean, Uh, We talked about that on the the previous show. There's something about the controllers that makes the game. You know, Atari games, playing old Atari games does not feel right on a D-pad to me. You know, Uh, Commodore games don't feel the same if you're playing them on a keyboard and not with an Atari joystick. So Um, I got a a voicemail from David M. Uh, I don't know why I always take people's last names out. I'm sure they're fine with me saying their last name, but I just said Rick Reynolds name. Great. Sorry, Rick. Uh, David said uh, also he recommended the Ouya. He said that he's tried uh, different solutions and that he really likes that one. And he tried the PC like I did, but he said it was a um – endless uh what's the endless setup and configuration trying to just scrolling through here uh and it was a lot of work to maintain and i agree with that you know it's um i had everything up and working on my emulation pc and then i turn it on the other day and uh it starts popping up you know windows xp is no longer going to be supported on this i'm like i know and then i had to dig out the wireless mouse and keyboard actually what i what i end up doing is remoting into it now so i had to remote in and click all those things don't show that again uh he also mentions uh using the original Nintendo Wii as a uh living room emulation box and that is a good solution you know I the I'm not a huge fan of the Wii mote you know even sideways or whatever but um uh I guess you could use the uh the classic controller and it supports uh, some of the emulators that are out for the Wii but unfortunately David points out and this is a good point is that um if you if you're messing around with uh, something like the Wii for the emulation channel, then you're, uh, you know, you're at their mercy for somebody to keep those emulators updated. And so a lot of those have kind of been abandoned. Um, but he does say uh, that you can use the external hard drive. And so he has all his ROMs uh, on there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he, he he threw his hat in for the uh, Ouya as well. And he said that he thinks it's available for $59 at Target. Now this is a voicemail is a couple of weeks old, so um, maybe from the holiday rush, they may be sold out. But I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to check that out because that would be just something fun to play with. Uh, I also got a uh, comment from David S, um, and uh, he talks about the fact that if I'm using a PC, that I should uh, consider using the uh, XBMC or the Xbox Media Center. Uh, on that. And that, you know, that's a valid point. If you only have one device, I actually also have a, um, uh, Boxy hooked up in there and Boxy. I bought the, um, actual physical one, uh, and it's just a little tiny box that streams uh, videos and things across the network. So I don't really have a, a need to, have the video capabilities on that PC as well as far as streaming movies and stuff like that. But, um, if you only have one device in there, then that's, that's, um, definitely a good, uh, point to make. Uh, so anyway, thanks for all the feedback. I appreciate all the stuff. I love that. Um, I love that people that listen to the show are the type of people that are doing what I'm doing, putting, uh, things in their living room to play games and watch movies and do all that, you know? Uh, so thanks for the feedback. Uh, if you have feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack in general, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. You can leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flack voicemail box at 405-486-YDKF. Or you can leave a comment on the Facebook page, which is at Facebook.com forward slash You Don't Know Flack. Wow, it took a long time for this episode to load off the uh, data set. Turns out the Commodore data set's not very quick. But looks like the episode's loaded now, so let's go ahead and press play on this episode about cassette tapes. I got my first record player when I was probably five or six years old. It was this little white plastic record player It kind of looked like something from the uh the set from 2001 a space odyssey it was um uh white with um speakers that were removable and a turntable on top and a headphone jack and so this was uh, the late 70s so i had a bean bag because i think everybody in the late 70s had a bean bag and i was uh like i said 6 maybe years old, seven years old tops, and I had um, unbridled access to my parents' record collection. And uh, so I would go pull my parents' records. Um, My dad was a big fan of Blondie and Queen, and he had the uh, Tommy soundtrack to the movie And they they had lots of Beatles records and Jimi Hendrix records. And so as a little kid, I would go get these records and just put them on the turntable, plug in a headphone jack, and sit there in my beanbag and listen to music. I have uh, probably mentioned this on other uh, music episodes, but uh, I think that's one of the greatest experiences I ever had when it came to music, is just being able to not worry about if I'm getting messages on my phone, not worried about if the kids need something or work needs something, just being able to sit down, put on a pair of headphones, play an album from beginning to end. It was a great, 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 great experience. Uh, and so I grew up loving music and I would get an allowance. I think I got an allowance of a couple bucks a week and I would, uh, my parents would take me to Walmart and I would buy 45s. So all those, uh, queen singles that I'd heard from my dad's albums, you know, we are the champions, we'll rock you. Another one bites the dust. Uh, I would buy those singles and, um, I had a lot of, this is kind of funny. I was going through, uh, down memory lane and thinking of the singles I owned as a kid. And I had a lot of country influence stuff, you know, like, um, juice Newton. And I had, uh, uh the devil went down to Georgia and Eddie rabbit. And, uh, when I was a kid, my mom was in a bowling league. And, uh, so we would go, uh, she would go and, um, uh, family friend of ours, they would go bowl together. And so all the kids would go and we would hang out at the bowling alley. And I remember a lot of those songs, I would hear them on the uh, jukebox at the bowling alley. I remember hearing, um, you know, the gambler, Kenny Rogers, the gambler, and, and, um, definitely uh, juice Newton's queen of hearts. And, uh, so I think I was partially influenced by that. Like I would buy, um, uh, you know, 45s of that stuff, but also uh, the things that are on the radio that I was hearing, you know, I'm sure that's where uh, Another One Bites the Dust came from. And, and uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was definitely, I was definitely a music kid. I was definitely into music before a lot of my friends. I was definitely into music that was older uh, than what uh, my friends were listening to. I think my first experience with a cassette uh, and cassette tapes was not through music, but it was through a computer. We had a uh, TRS-80 Model 3 computer that we got in 1980, and it came with a um, cassette player. It was a Radio Shack brand cassette player. It looked like one of those little – it was kind of shaped like a – I mean, about the size or maybe a little smaller, but it was the kind of like a shoebox. I don't even know what you would call that, but, um, you know, a little portable cassette player, a little, had a little handle in the front and you would, uh, you know, put your cassettes in, rewind them. You would use the timer sometimes if there was a, or not the timer, but like the little number counter on the side, you could put multiple programs on a tape. And so it would say like, you know, for this one, fast forward to, you know, rewind the tape, reset it to zero. And then fast forward to 50 and then load or or something like that, you know. Uh, and I may be combining that with the, the Commodore as well because I know that um, I had a, a data set. Still have one. That's what I do the show on, of course. But um, I had a data set not for very long. The Commodore's data set was notoriously slow, uh, especially in the early days. And um, it, it's, it's interesting to me that the Commodore uh, people – in the U.S., are almost exclusive disk drive people, and uh, overseas they were very, very heavy into um, the cassettes and data sets. Um, so there, it's it was kind of two different uh, worlds. But uh, in the U.S., of course, you moved to a disk drive as soon as you could, uh, as soon as you could afford one. You know, so I didn't, I wasn't a cassette user very long on the Commodore. Now. Um, the alternative, and I guess this is kind of the stepping thing between records and cassettes, were 8-tracks. We only had one car that I can remember as a kid that even had an 8-track player. Uh, and I don't remember us having an 8-track player in the house at all. I mean, I think my dad my dad had a lot of stereo equipment that he had um, – Uh, bought when he was in the air force. And so I think there may have been an eight track player in the house, but I don't remember. I personally have never owned an eight track, uh, not a player or an actual eight track, um, cassette or a tape. Um, so, uh, in fact, I remember, uh, what was that? Um, there was a little toy robot and, um, I don't, is it 2XL? I think that's what it was, but um, I might be wrong on the name of that. But it uh, allowed you to play trivia and things like that. I think I've mentioned it on the show before. But it used an 8-track, and I remember a friend of mine having that and and me wondering what that tape was. So definitely uh, I was not around a lot of 8-tracks as a kid. I was around uh, vinyl records uh, and then um, cassettes. So I had a birthday party I'm trying to think here, maybe I was seven or eight years old, something like that. It was, um, we'd borrowed a tent. My dad borrowed a tent from a coworker that would sleep like 10 people, like one of those big giant tents. And we put it in my backyard and I had a slumber party. My birthday's uh, in the summer. And so we had the slumber party and I had all these kids come over and for my birthday, I got a, a small cassette player recorder, you know, just like, um, the one that was hooked up to, uh, our TRS 80. And it was portable. It used batteries. And so you could just carry this thing around. It wasn't like a a, uh, big boombox one, which is the next one that I got. But it was just like like a little thing you could carry around. Uh, And I remember, like, going out uh, to that uh, slumber party that year and, like, telling ghost stories and recording them and playing things back and singing songs and stuff like that. Those tapes are long gone. And, uh, I mean, I can even remember, like, like specific jokes and stuff that we told on those tapes. I wish I'd, I still had those tapes, but I, I don't know what happened to them. They just got lost over time. But that's the first cassette player uh, that I remember having. Um, And uh, we would get these tapes. Uh, I don't even know what brand. They're like Alcon brand or something. Uh, and they would have green labels on them. And they would be 30 minutes on each side, you know. And so – and you could get like a three pack at Walmart like you'd be walking out uh and they would be hanging there and uh so I have a ton of those. I still have them I have a ton of these uh but that's what I used to record stuff off of but um uh so anyway, around um gosh i want to say eighty two maybe uh probably nineteen eighty two so I was like nine. I got my first boom box. Now, at the time, we called them ghetto blasters. I don't see that term anymore. I, maybe people don't like saying ghetto. Um, but they, you know, the reason they call them ghetto blasters was because people would uh, turn their music on and they would carry them around, you know, <laughs> like on their shoulder and just blast music everywhere. It was kind of annoying. Um, uh, but I got my first one. I want to say I was in probably second grade or whatever. Uh, and that's when I first started getting. Store bought cassette tapes. Now, up until this time, you know, I didn't have a way to record anything off the radio. I didn't have any, you know, way to... All I had the ability to do was basically record, um, you know, whatever I created, my own content, you know, if I would talk or tell jokes or sing songs or whatever. Um, but I got this boom box. I want to say, like I said, probably an 82 would be my guess, eight, maybe 83, I'm 9 or 10 years old. Um, and the big thing at the time was KTEL. Um, and K-Tel was a, a company that would put out basically like whatever the hot songs were at the time, you know, and then they would just give it some catchy name, put that album out, boom. And then they'd put another one out the next week. And there were always commercials. I got a commercial downloaded here for one of these. Um, <clears throat> but the, uh, first tape that I think I ever owned like a store-bought tape, was k Hit Explosion. Now, I had a heck of a time tracking down track lists because I didn't even know the name Hit Explosion. I couldn't remember what it was called. But based on some of the songs I remembered, I was able to track this down. So um, here's the set list really quick of k Hit Explosion. Uh, on the first side, you had uh, Tony Basil, uh, Mickey, The Go-Go's Vacation, Joe Jackson Steppin' Out, Haircut 100, Favorite Shirts, Joan Jett's Do You Want to Touch Me, Rod Stewart's Young Turks, and Steve Miller Band, Abracadabra. Uh, the second side, the B-side, I guess you would say. Uh, Pat Benatar, Shadows of the Night, Laura Branigan, Gloria, Santana, Hold On, Flock of Seagulls, Space Age Love Song, Russia's New World Man, Ario Speedwagon, Keep the Fire Burning, and Survivor, Eye of the Tiger. So this is, like I said, it's like a greatest hit kind of thing. It's from KTEL hit explosion. And all of a sudden I was, these are like all my favorite type songs. You know, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. There are two other ones I remember. Um, one was KTEL's hot tracks. I definitely had this one and I'm just going to run through this real quick. Uh, you have a maniac. Michael Sambello, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, The Arrhythmics, Human Touch by Rick Springfield, White Wedding from Billy Idol, Mr. Roboto from The Sticks, Don't Pay the Ferryman by Chris DeBerg, and The Night by The Animals. And what's funny, uh, well, let me go through the B-side here real quick. King of Pain by The Police, This Time, Brian Adams, Rock of Ages, Def Leppard, Mexican Radio, Wall of Voodoo. Promises, Promises by Naked Eyes, So Wrong by Patrick Simmons, and Dead Giveaway by Shalimar. Now, I think, you know, now that I'm looking at this, I wonder if this track list is not from the vinyl album because I don't recognize the last two songs on either one of those, and I'm wondering if maybe the cassette only had the first five on each side. I don't know, but I'll have to look at that because I don't, that's So Wrong and Dead Giveaway, I don't think I've ever heard of those songs. Um, but... uh these tapes obviously kept made me pretty popular on the bus, you know. Uh, cause I would take my boombox to school, and then while we were on the bus, I would play these songs, and everybody would, um, you know, go crazy. Now, the third one here, I actually think I had on vinyl, um, but uh, because I'm looking at this and I don't remember playing this, but this would be K Star Power, and I have a commercial for this right here. <laughs> Power, featuring Miko's theme from Star Wars, lifts off with Paul Nicholas, Seven Seven Little, Seven. Little River Band, Babies, Ellen O'Day, Kiss, Fly. and Fantastic Fireball, Just remember I love you. Galactic Force from Foreigner, the flagship of the galaxy, KTL. Power, So as you heard there, we've got Miko uh, with the, the disco Star Wars title, Foreigner, Cold as Ice, Firefall, Just Remember I Love You, Paul Nicholas, Heaven on the Seventh Floor, England and Dan, uh, It's Sad to Belong, The Bay City Rollers, You Make Me Believe in Magic, Stephen Bishop, On and On, uh, Paul Davis, I Go Crazy, The Babies, Isn't It Time, uh, Little River Band, Help Is On Its Way, Kiss, Christine 16. David Soul, Silver Lady, Hot Angel in Your Arms, Brick, Dusik, hmm. Peter Brown, Do You Want to Get Funky with Me? I do not want to get funky with Peter Brown. Uh, you got The Silvers, Boogie Fever, Floaters, The Float On, and Alan Day, Undercover Angel. Again, uh, this has nine songs on each side, and I just can't imagine uh, that uh, the cassette had that many songs on it, but anyway. So K-Tail, that's a big part of, um, my introduction to cassettes, you know, I didn't, um, you know, this is still the, uh, the age of the single, you know what I mean? People buy 45s because they like a single song or whatever. Uh, and so, you know, if I heard, let's say, um, uh, a foreigner cold as ice, I remember loving that song, you know? And so, uh. You know, I didn't necessarily want all foreigner songs. I just wanted that song. So these K albums were a good way to get a whole bunch of, uh, you know, hit songs all at, in one place. Now, the other thing my boombox had, not only did it have the cassette thing, but it also had a radio. And so with that and those, you know, green cassette tapes that I used to buy, you could record uh, the songs, you know, directly from the radio. Now, one place that you could really get your bang for the buck was during those countdowns, the end of year countdowns that would either be on Christmas or New Year's Eve. And they would top, you know, uh, countdown like the top 85 of 85, stuff like that. And so I would sit there with my boom box and put a tape in and hit record and then hit pause and just sit there. And then as the songs of the year came that I loved, I would, you know, unpause it and record that song and then repause it. Uh, So that was a really good way to collect all the songs. And I still have those cassette tapes. Um, You know, it was a good way to, like I said, get those songs for free. You know, just record them off the radio. Piracy was a (laughs) big problem in the 80s. People recorded songs off the radio. For God's sake, it's going to kill the industry. Um, Another thing I recorded a lot of was Dr. Demento. I discovered Dr. Demento's show – oh, in mid-high, you know, as I uh, found out that it was on every Sunday night. And so I would um, – uh, sometimes I would record the whole thing. Like I would just put a cassette in and record it, and then when it was done, flip the cassette over and keep recording. Uh, other times I would just record like the songs that I wanted to hear and stuff like that. But, um, uh, yeah, Dr. Demento, I had several several of those tapes. Um, and also I would uh, – I would record a lot of songs off the radio, and I have those tapes too, and I've I've been converting these over to MP3s. And what's funny about a lot of these tapes is I'll hear the same songs over and over and over. Like I have one cassette tape, uh, and on one side that's 30 minutes long, I have uh, Spies Like Us like two and a half times, like twice, and then it's recording a third time when the tape ends. So I don't, I must've not remembered that I'd got it. You know, I'd be like, Oh, here's spies like us. I love that song. And I would record it and just over and over, you know? So that was a good thing about those, um, year end countdowns too. they were only going to play the song one time, you know? So, uh, so, so you wouldn't end up with the same song over and over on your cassette. Now This is a funny story. Um, the, um, the cassette deck in my boom box, uh held the cassettes upside down and in the front so you you had to turn the tape upside down you put it in this little plastic tray and then close the tray and that's how it um you know accessed the tape well eventually that little plastic tray broke off it had these little plastic hinges and they broke and then that was that so it still worked um, but gravity would not hold the tape in. So you had to put the tape in and then press play. And then once the, the tape was engaged, it would hold it in there and play. But when you got to the end of the tape, it would uh, automatically stop. And then the tape would just fall out. And so, um, I had a, uh, a bed with a headboard and I put the boom box over, um, on the headboard, you know? So I remember, I remember several times like, uh, Recording Doctor Demento, uh, which was on late Sunday night, and so I would put a tape in there and hit record, and then all of a sudden, you know, after an hour or thirty minutes or whatever, you he would hear clunk, and then poke, and then the tape would fall out onto my bed, you know, and I would have to find the tape and put, you know, flip it over. I remember more than once uh, falling asleep with a tape playing and then I must have rolled around in my bed and then getting to the end of the tape, having the tape fall out and hit me right in the head. <laughs> and that happened more than once, which is uh, ridiculous that that would ha- – like you would think I would come up with a solution, but I do remember that happening. Um, another thing about uh, that era, about having a boombox, a ghetto blaster, whatever you want to call it, uh, was breakdancing. Breakdancing was huge. In the uh, early to mid-1980s, and I was totally into breakdancing. Uh, and so, you know, you would go outside and work on your sweet moves, work on your moonwalk, work on your wave, your pop and lock. <laughs> I'm trying to think of things. Work on your centipede. Uh, I did not work on my backspin because I was on a street with um, a lot of gravel, and it would really hurt. But, uh, you know, take your boom box out there. There was a street corner right outside my house and put your boom box and you get your, um, uh, sweet breakdancing tunes, you know, and, uh, just put music on and go out there. And I remember even doing that, um, later when I was, uh, uh, into skateboarding and I would go outside to work on trying to figure out how these guys were, you know, doing ollies and stuff like that. And I would put on, take cassettes out there and, um uh, you know, just play music outside. Uh no headphones or anything, just you know, I hope the whole neighborhood wants to listen to NXS <laughs> and crank it up and sit out there and, and skateboard, you know. Um but uh it was that era, it was the breakdancing era, where I began uh recording tapes and uh and trading tapes. You know, I got a uh I finally got a desk I would say a stereo unit, you know, and it had a record player, but it also had dual cassettes. So that allowed me to not only dub records onto cassette, but also one cassette to another cassette. Uh, And so I had kind of started trading tapes with some friends of mine. I had um, Beat Street, (laughs) the soundtrack on a vinyl, and I had Breakin'. And my friend Patrick had um the Fat Boys, and I had another friend uh Ross who had run d m c and so we would you know loan each other, give each other cassettes, and make copies of these, and then eventually you know we all had copies of what everybody else had um I remember this is um <laughs> a weird memory I just had, but the copy of Fat Boys that I had from Patrick is on a real estate seminar set of tapes, and you know when you were a kid. Cassette, you could just go buy cassettes all the time and they're kind of expensive, or you know, you'd go through them more quickly than you would acquire them. So, I think my mom a couple of times had like bought these things where, um, like at a garage sale, like a, it would be a, a 10 pack of you know, how to do real estate or whatever of cassette tapes. And, um, I get I should mention, I guess if you're not familiar with cassette tapes, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Uh, that they have a little tab on the top that you could break off, and that was like making it where you could write to the tape anymore. So if you recorded something and you never wanted to record over it, you would just break that little tab. And the tapes that you bought from the store, the tab was already broken. But you could put a piece of tape over that, like a little black piece of tape uh, or something like that, uh, and then you could record over it again. And so my mom would buy these things like, uh, you know, like I said, I remember this one, it was like, you know, steps to real estate success. And, uh, you know, it was like 10 tapes or 12 tapes and give it to me. And I would just put tape over all the little things and reuse those tapes. So, you know, it would say like, uh, you know, episode five, you know, how to flip property. And then it would all be scribbled out in Sharpie and then it said fat boys. (laughs) So I bet those tapes are really expensive too, but I didn't care. I had no interest in flipping property. Uh, So I started building up a little collection of copied tapes. You know, uh, and like I said, I would take the, the boom box out with me if we were break dancing or take it to school. You know, I had, mine had a little handle, take it to school. And, um, uh, especially on the bus, I think my boom box used six D size batteries. If I remember correctly, um, it may have been C's, but I think they were D's and I'm pretty sure it held six of them. Cause I remember there was like a thing for four. And then when you pull those four out, there was a little trap door thing for two more, uh, and I don't remember how long that lasted, but it didn't seem like it last a whole long time, you know, and, uh, that's something funny too, that, um, I don't know that kids today will ever experience this, but when you had stuff like that, that ran on batteries that was analog and not digital, when the batteries started slowing down, it would just, I mean, it would slow down when the batteries wore out, you know what I mean? So your tape would just start playing slower and slower and slower and, um, you know, I think obviously now with phones and things like that, you just you don't your voicemail's not slower. <laughs> it's just your phone turns off. It doesn't work anymore. Wouldn't that be cool? If you're talking to somebody on the phone and they're like R-r-r-r. you're like, Oh man, I gotta I gotta charge my phone. <laughs> Everybody's talking slow. That'd be terrible. Um, but uh yeah, so I was definitely a boombox kid. I carried it around. Um I remember we went on a few school trips and we would take a bus, like we went to, um, Odyssey of the Mine and, and some other things for school, just field trips. And, and, you know, the cool kid got to sit in the back of the bus with a boombox. And then you're the, the entertainment, you know, uh, I definitely remember going on a school trip and this would have been, oh, man, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade, which is, this scares me so much because my kid is in seventh grade now. And somebody bring, I had a boombox and somebody had brought, um, the first Two Life Crew album, and boy did we learn some things from the Two Life Crew. <laughs> they were talking about things I didn't even know that men and women did <laughs> together. <laughs> and um I I remember thinking like, man, if a teacher hears this, they're gonna take my radio, it's gonna suck. But um you know what? Sometimes when you're the DJ, you gotta you gotta play what the crowd wants, you know. Uh I did eventually get a Walkman Uh, a tape playing Walkman, you know, not just a radio one. I want to say that it just used two AA batteries, which I I can't remember. I mean, it seems like it would need four, but, but, um, when I looked online, it looks like maybe they just used two. I don't know. I remember I went through batteries really quickly. Um, and, um, I had this funny memory about having a a tape cassette playing Walkman is my buddy Jeff and I, we would go on, uh, weekend trips, his sister played uh, softball and she played softball in tournaments and stuff and they would be out of town. And so Jeff and I would um, ride along, you know, and we didn't have a headphone splitter or headphones or anything like that. So we had those cheesy, you remember those headphones that had like the little foam covers on the on the earpieces or whatever, and you could pop the speaker off the little head thing. So we would pop those speakers off and sit in the back of their uh, van and listen to, you know. Ozzy tapes and, um, he had these metal blade compilation tapes, which were so cool. I love those. I have them now on, uh, I've tracked down all the songs off of those. I've kind of built my own compilation versions of those. Um, but, um, and, but the, you couldn't split the headphones very far. So we would sit more or less, you know, two dudes in the back of a van with our heads three inches apart. Uh, each of us with one earbud, you know, holding it to our ears, <laughs> listening to it. I guess that's how bad we wanted to hear, uh, Ozzy's, uh, ultimate sin. That was good times though. Uh, let's see what else I got a cassette tape. I still have this cassette. This kid at school, his name is Matt. Um, was like into music that I'd never heard of, you know, and he made me a cassette tape. Uh, and it has minor threat out of step on one side, and it has dead milkman big lizard in my backyard on the other. two things I had never heard of and um I wore that tape out. <laughs> I got into the dead milkman so hard I have Probably – I'm pretty sure I have every Dead Milkman CD. I know I even have like some EPs and stuff like that. Uh, But I really got into the Dead Milkman and I really got into punk. You know, I wasn't really into the Sex Pistols yet uh, at that time or, you know, anything that would – anything that would have been, you know, not on the radio kind of stuff. But Minor Threat – uh, I was like, what is this? You know? And so it, it was funny, you know, back then if somebody could dub off a tape and hand it to you and it, and it would, I mean, those, that cassette changed my life. I mean, those are music that I was not exposed to, uh, that all of a sudden changed what kind of music I was listening to, you know? So that, that kind of stuff was awesome. And, and, um, you know, cassettes being completely portable, you made somebody a cassette, throw it in your pocket. And then when you saw him, you gave him a cassette and that was it, you know? Now, um, my buddy Scott was uh, had found out about these cassette clubs, and you—if you're old enough—you remember seeing these ads in magazines, like eight albums for a penny or eleven for a penny or whatever, you know. And so he had joined up with these things, and uh, he brought it to school and showed it to us how it worked. And at this point, we were probably in ninth grade. I mean, we were. I started working at the concession stand when I was in ninth grade, so I had a little bit of disposable income and uh so he showed us these ads and basically, what it was is you would sign up, you would join um you know whoever it was Sony or Columbia Record Club or cassette Club, and you would get eleven albums for a penny all you had to do was pay shipping. And then you had to agree over the next six months to buy six more at full price. And full price wasn't that bad. I mean, they were probably $10 or less, you know. Uh, And then at that point, your obligation was over. So you could quit and then you could rejoin. So um, we started doing that. And uh, I would liken this to the first time people discovered Napster and they were like, I'm going to get everything. You know, you remember that? (laughs) Uh, or however you started getting music online at the very beginning, and it was like that. I would sign up to this thing, and also if if somebody used you as a reference, you got like three free tapes or something. So we would all use Scott as a reference, and um, or you know like a referral, and then we would sign up and we would get eleven free tapes. And I remember I definitely got a bunch of Iron Maiden tapes. I got Megadeth. I got um, I don't remember if I got Metallica from there or not, but. Um, but like bands that I would heard about, like Iron Maiden, I'd heard, uh, or heard about, but hadn't listened to. And I was like, that sounds cool. Let's just buy all these Iron Maiden ones. And, uh, then you would get the tapes and they weren't like the original tapes. I mean, the songs were the same, but, um, like I remember I definitely got Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction. Uh, and, uh, it had the album cover on the front. And then I remember very specifically that the cassette tape was white. And so this friend of mine who had got, um, Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction starts talking about, you know, the alternative artwork that's on the inside. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like on mine, it was just a piece of paper, you know, and on the front was the cover. And then the inside, there wasn't even any printing. It was just white paper. And, uh, and then I got in his car. And he shows me his cassette and his cassette is like clear plastic. And mine was white plastic, you know. So mine was obviously a very cheap dubbed off version, you know, with just the outer artwork and and all those tapes I got were like that, you know, all the Iron Maiden ones and the Megadeth ones. So I didn't have the big thing that I was missing, I didn't have the lyrics because, you know, if you bought the real one, you got the lyrics printed on the inside. But uh from the record company you didn't didn't get that, you know. But it, it didn't really bother me. Um this was the time of Headbanger's Ball and so I would see all these bands, you know, and and um like I'm sure uh, like you know, SOD. Like I was like, oh, there's SOD, and uh, you get that. And I'm like, boom! I just buy that cassette. There's MOD. There's this band. There's that band. You know, and just uh, and then I would sign up to the record club again, <laughs> and buy all these tapes, and then you know you had to buy six more over six months. But sometimes I would buy them all the next month, and then I, would, and then you send in your little thing saying you quit. And then you had to wait a month and then I'd rejoin. So, uh, but I started building a huge uh, cassette tape collection, you know, by doing that. Uh, By the time I was 14, I mentioned that I worked at uh, the concession stand, um, but I also got a motorcycle and I was free to drive around. So there were all these little places uh, around Oklahoma City, there was midnight music. Rainbow Records, uh, Happy Days Records, which is somehow still around, uh, and Sound Warehouse. And so I would just go down to these places. Like I remember uh, the first time I got money and I drove my motorcycle over to Rainbow Records and I went in and all their cassette tapes were um, alphabetical, you know. And uh, so I would go over to the the little rock slash metal section and I start – at the very beginning, and I'm like, Anthrax, what's this? And I look, and it's got this album cover, and it looks like, you know, something scary. I'm like, boom, I'll take it. (laughs) And that was it. Like, I would literally just start at the beginning, and I've got ACDC and Anthrax and all these, you know, alphabetically just going through and looking for scary album covers whatever. That is, um, uh, I'm I'm sure, I I totally remember getting Slayer, like, um, you know, just seeing this album cover and be like, that looks like something my parents would hate, <laughs> and buying it, you know. Uh, and I totally remember um, uh, Dri, which is a band, uh, punk band, uh, stands for Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. <laughs> And I don't think anybody ever told me about DRI. I R I. I don't remember anybody ever hearing about D R I. Like I remember just going into midnight music and being, you know, looking at the tapes and saying, Oh, here's Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. That sounds good. And just buying that, you know. So that was um uh and I probably had too much disposable income if I was just buying cassettes. But also they had a lot of used cassettes, so I remember they had a lot of like four and five dollar cassettes and stuff like that. Uh but I did I did buy uh cassettes based off of, you know, things. I remember I had this um I was really into hard rock and heavy metal in the mid to late eighties. Um still am sort of, but eh, I don't know. I got old. Uh but I would cut out these um like I would buy, you know, the circus and, and um Hit Parade or whatever, all these all the magazines and I would cut out, use a razor blade and cut out um they would have just pictures, you know, of bands and stuff, uh, eight and a half by 11, because that's the size of the magazine. And I would cut them out and put them all over my wall in my bedroom. And I remember I had this one of uh, Guns N' Roses and the drummer, Steven Adler, standing in a t-shirt that says T-S-O-L. And I was like, I don't know what that stands for. But the next time I was at the music store, I saw a tape for T-S-O-L, which I think it stands for True Sounds of Liberty. And I was like, I'll get that. And I literally bought a tape uh, because... I saw a picture of a guy wearing a shirt that said t s o l on it you know, so i you know I found out about music that way um and then, like I said, of course, you know anything that would be on the uh m t v and and um you know people would mention bands or a lot of times you would see like um people in concert or you don't know, see them on t v in concert and they would be wearing shirts of a different band and then i would i would find that band, you know? And and so, yeah, I just started amassing all these cassettes. There's also cassette singles. Um, I remember um, Metallica specifically would have cassette singles like of uh, One and uh, Shortest Straw and all these songs that were not really, well, One obviously was on the radio, but a lot of their songs were not radio friendly, but they would sell cassette singles and then the B-side would be an unreleased song. I think I should have looked this up. I think the song's called The Prince, which is on the back of one. Um, and uh, I know Killing Time was on the back of one of the the cassette singles, but that was the only way to get those songs, you know. And so, and that kind of puts you in like a, uh, a weird elite group, you know, like your friends would be over and you'd put on this cassette and it would be a Metallica song that they had never heard. They're like, whoa, what is that song? And you're like, well, it's on the single. You got to buy the single, which was a, a good way for bands to make a little bit of extra money. Um, I didn't buy a lot of singles because I tended to buy the albums, you know? Um, one of the last singles that I can remember buying was Nirvana's lithium. And the reason I bought it was because if you remember when Nirvana, Nevermind came out, nobody could tell what Kurt Cobain was saying, which is funny now. Cause when I listen to that album, everything he says sounds completely clear to me, but at the time people couldn't figure out what he was saying. And uh, after a couple of singles, Nirvana released Lithium, and inside the single for Lithium were all the lyrics to Nirvana's Nevermind, the entire album. And so I think Nirvana's Lithium sold really well uh, as a single. Also, this is just a a side thing. I remember people talking about the original release of Nirvana, uh, Nevermind, has a hidden track um uh, but i bought it on cassette so i i was, there was no hidden track for me so i remember i i didn't even have a cd player at the time but jeff did so i i don't think jeff even liked nirvana but i was like you should really get this nirvana <laughs> and he bought it and then just so we could hear the uh the hidden song which it turns out just to be a bunch of noise it was not not worth it um so you know, like I said, I started collecting all these cassettes and amassing cassettes. And uh, as a kid, I had a shoebox that I put my cassettes in, uh, and then I got a briefcase, like a vinyl-wrapped briefcase-looking thing that held thirty cassettes. Uh, and so I would carry that around, uh, put all my cassettes in there, and then I ended up buying one of those wooden wall holders that held a hundred cassettes, and then. Eventually I got a second one of those and I know I had more cassettes than would fit in there, but you know, so I had 200 things and and I will throw a picture. Maybe I'll use that as the icon of this week's show because, um, I just found a, a videotape, a VHS tape where I had recorded some stuff in my room and th- there's uh you could see the cassette tape thing. So I, I'm, you know what, I'm going to take a screen grab of that and that's going to be the, uh, the picture for this show. So, um, uh, my, my buddy, Jeff, I talk about Jeff a lot. Uh, we went to a party in high school and Jeff had a 1980. There were three of us, by the way, he had a 1980 Z 28. My friend Andy had a 1978 Z Z 28 and I had a 79 formula firebird. So they all looked very similar. Jeff's was white mine and Andy's were black. Uh, and so we had gone to this party and there were these Dudes, I'll just call them some dudes that we knew. We, we didn't really know them. We kind of knew them. Uh, but they were very cool. We thought they were very cool. And we wanted them to think we were cool. And so these guys uh, were like, "Hey, uh, man, can we borrow one of your cars?" And Jeff was like, "Yep, you can borrow my Z." And I'm like, "There's no way! Like, I don't even know if I'd let Jeff drive my Z, or I mean, my uh, Firebird. You know, I probably, I'm sure I would have, but I'm not gonna let just some dudes at a party to impress him drive my car, you know. But Jeff is very, very that way. He's very giving, and he'll, he'll loan you anything, and he'll he'll always help you out, you know. And so he was like, "Yep, you could take my car, and just bring it back," you know. Well, they didn't bring it back. They, uh, actually got arrested for breaking into cars and they were doing that while driving around in Jeff's car. And so, uh, I think they were actually stealing like car stereos, uh, at the time. And so, um, I don't really know the details. I should ask Jeff. I'm going to see Jeff tonight. He's coming to my new year's, new year's day party. So I'll ask him the details. But, um, anyway, I know that, um, he had to go with his mom and they had to go down to the police station and pick up his car, (laughs) Uh, and so he got his car back and, uh, I, maybe I saw him the next day. I don't, I'm sure he didn't come back to the party, but I think I saw him the next day and in his trunk of his car were a couple of stolen cassette, uh, things, which I don't even know why, why would the police not look in the trunk of his car? It doesn't make sense, but there was also a 60 cassette holder now. So this was like a big, it's like a, one of those vinyl suitcases things that held 30, cassettes, but it was back-to-back, so you could open either side, so it held 30 cassettes on either side, so you could carry 60 cassettes around with you, um, which I guess made it really good if you were going to break into someone's car and steal their cassettes. You got all 60 cassettes. So that was in, in his trunk, and we when we looked at it, it was all 80s rap and 80s dance stuff, which Jeff was not into at all. Uh, Jeff is definitely my, one of my heavy metal buddies, you know, but I was like, I listened to a bunch of different kinds of music and I'd listened to heavy metal, but I also listened to a lot of eighties rap and uh, he was like, Oh, it's yours. And so he just gave it to me. And And so I think I kept a few of the tapes, but most of them were like just crappy, you know, ones that people are and stuff. And so we tossed the tapes away. But now I had this holder that would hold 60 cassettes. And so, um, you know, when we were going on a, a little trip or if we were you know driving around or whatever, then I would load up, man. And then I was like the little portable DJ, you know, you want to hear this, you want to hear this. And I could just pull tapes, you know, I'd sort them. And, and, uh, so all of a sudden, and this thing was pretty big. I mean, it's, <laughs> like a, I mean, it's two briefcases on top of each other that would hold 30 tapes each. So uh, it definitely would not fit under the seat, you know, I mean, if you were trying to hide it, so eh, I don't know, it is what it is. And I always had it in my car. Uh, so, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Now, uh, in 1992, maybe 93, uh, I got my first CD Walkman. Uh, I also got a CD playing boombox around that same time. Uh, and, and it, you know, the selling point for, for CDs was that they never, never wore out, which we know is not true anymore. I mean, bit rot and things like that, but, and they scratch, you know, but cassette tapes, uh, were susceptible to heat damage. Like if you had a cassette and you left it on your dash for a day or two, it could warp. Uh, the tapes could melt. The tapes could get eaten, you know? So there were all these things that went wrong with cassette tapes. So CDs were like, Oh, this, this is going to replace cassettes, which obviously they did. Um, but, uh, I didn't have a CD player in my car, you know, but I started buying CDs cause I got this CD, uh, boom box, you know, for my, for my room. And, uh, then I got a CD Walkman. And so, uh, I wanted to have, I wanted to listen to CDs in my car, you know? So what people would do is you buy these little stupid, I'm sure you've seen them, uh, cassette adapters and they would hook up to the headphone jack. So you, you'd, plug it into the headphone jack and then you plug the cassette into your car cassette player. And then, you know, so the car thinks it's playing a cassette, but it's really, you know, getting the feed from, um, uh, uh, your, your little CD player. And of course mine skipped like crazy. I mean, anytime you hit a bump, it the, I don't know. They didn't have the buffering, you know, that we have now. So, uh, uh, you know, it would skip all the time or whatever. I had a pillow, like a pillow from my bed, in my car and I would fold it up and put it in the middle dash in between my two front seats and put the CD player on that to try to get it from not skipping, you know, uh, it was just really a a pain in the butt, you know, but, uh, I didn't have that many CDs at the time, you know, so I still carried around this, this, um, 60 holder thing of cassettes, and I didn't want to buy the same CDs that I already owned on cassette. Like, why would I buy Back in Black on CD when I already have Back in Black on cassette? It just didn't make any sense to me, you know. And um, so I had a, I, dro- I was driving a Ford Festiva. I had long since blown up the, the Firebird and blown up the Mustang and blown up the sold the Buick Regal and all these other cars. And finally, I was like, I need something slow with <laughs> good mileage. So I was driving a, a Ford Festiva. And I took the back seats out. This was during the uh, the time where everybody wanted to have big giant stereos, and so I built this giant box that was terrible with uh, uh, two. Uh, I'm trying to remember what all was in there. I know I had two giant subwoofers, and I had some six by nines, and I had some smaller speakers and some other speakers. It was just anytime I had money, I'd go to the flea market and buy speakers and cut holes in this stupid box and add another amp and add it. You know, so I it was like I said, it was ridiculous. And, uh, I was working at pizza Inn at the time and I came out from work and walked around the corner and I have this vivid thought. I remember looking at my car and thinking, I don't remember parking in all that broken glass. And then I looked and I was like, son of a bitch, I don't have a window. And I looked and it was all gone. I mean, the stereo was gone my CD player was gone. The speakers, the box, everything was gone. And that tape thing I had that held 60 cassette tapes was gone. And that, that was probably the worst, you know, because you know, if, if your car gets stolen, let's say, you you know what your car is, you know what I mean? Like if my wife's car got stolen, I'm looking out the window at it right now. I'd be like, Oh yeah, it's a, you know, a Honda, whatever. But Um, it's that, that theft where you don't know, like what 60 tapes did you lose? Shoot. I don't know. Um, the, uh, you know, I know that all my Metallica tapes were in there. I know this and that, but then all of a sudden you come up with a list of 14 tapes and there were 60 missing, you know? So I just, but that is the moment where I quit buying cassette tapes. Um, I mean, I've kind of stopped buying cassette tapes anymore, but, uh, that was the point where i started just replacing those with cd's i don't think i ever bought a cassette after that um you know like i said i hadn't bought you know metallica or any of the the bands that i listened to that i had on cassette cuz i didn't want to double dip you know but once the cassettes were all stolen then i was like that's it and so i just started buying cd's after that um so if you know me you know that i'm a borderline hoarder <laughs> And then I have a lot of things from my youth and I have a lot of things in my house. And so you're probably wondering what cassettes do I still own? Well, I still own all those cassettes, basically every cassette that I – all those radio ones um, that uh, that I had as a kid. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I'm going to somehow try to make these available to people. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. I've got to find a place that um, – not going to kill me for copyright stuff, and a place that um, is not going to kill me for bandwidth. But I'll, I'll try to find uh, a place where I can stick some online, uh, and if you want to listen to some of those, and and they're just recordings of, you know, uh, the radio from the eighties. So the quality is going to be what it is, and the, and the songs are going to be what they are. But I'll, I'm going to put that in the show notes. I'm going to make that a, a project today. Um, so. And the the way that I did that, the way that I captured those in is, um, I bought a dual deck cassette player several years ago from a thrift store. I look every now and then at the thrift store. They're all, I always see them dual deck. All you need is a standalone dual deck cassette player. Uh, and they're, they're usually five or ten bucks. I see them all. I mean, a really nice one might set you back twenty, but I mean, I have two of them, a JVC and a Kenwood. Uh, both are, you know, very good brands as far as stereo equipment goes. And I think I paid $10 each for them and they all have RCA outs. And so you just need uh, a cable that has uh, RCA males on one side and an eighth inch jack, which is like a small headphone jack on the other plug it right into a sound card on your computer. You can record cassette tapes using audacity. Uh, You can record any, any software audacity is free, but any software that records, uh, uh, you know, music or, or sound or whatever. And you just change the inputs to the, uh, the line in input and you record your stuff. Now, uh, there are plugins. If you want to remove the tape hiss to get rid of that sound, um, you know, I, I leave them how they are. I don't break them up into different songs. I don't break them up. I just put, you know, this is uh, this tape. Actually, what I do is I record both sides of the tape. So I have side A, side B, Uh, then I'll include a text file that tells me like what songs are on there. And then I will actually physically scan the label of the cassette and then put it in there, you know? So, uh, and then I figure that I'm done at that point. Like I, I have it captured. I know what it looked like. I know what's on it and I have the audio recording and then I'm okay with it. Um, I have gotten rid of most of the cassettes I owned that were, um, that you could buy like ACDC back in black. Why would I have that on cassette? I have it on CD. I have it on my phone. Uh, I think when a certain person calls me, it's the ringtone. So, um, you know, I don't need that cassette anymore. And I do have some cassettes of local bands um, that never came out on CD and that I'll never be able to get again. And I've recorded those over into MP3, but I still hang on to the cassettes just because they're irreplaceable. You know, I'm never going to find those again. Uh, So I do have some of those. You know, I don't even know why I would throw this out. It's not, not a good story. I mean, it's stupid, but um, everybody remembers when uh, the late 80s, early 90s, when NWA came out. It was the, the uh, ad, not Advent, but the um, uh, Gangster Rap. And Gangster Rap came out and, and everybody, of course, you know, I was a little white kid living in suburbs of Oklahoma, you know, so this was a world that I was not familiar with, you know, later on when we saw uh, movies like Boys in the Hood, New Jack City, and things like that. This was not, that was not my life, you know what I mean? I had never seen anything like Compton. <laughs> uh, I, I suspect most people haven't. And, um, uh, so I, I got into, um, you know, gangster rap as far as listening to, NWA and EZE and Ice T and and a lot of that stuff. And I, you know, I still listen to some of that not around the kids, but, um, but anyway, uh, then there were a bunch of knockoffs, you know, other bands that were trying to get on that bandwagon. And there was one called, uh, HWA, uh, which was hoes with attitudes. (laughs) And the name of their album was living in a Ho house. (laughs) And I remember seeing that cassette one time. And I bought it just because I was like, that's funny. And it is, you know, the exact opposite. It's like everything that NWA would say against women, it's them saying against men. So it's the hose with attitudes. I have that cassette tape. That is I don't think that ever came out on C D. That's not a uh I mean, it was just a flash in the pan kind of thing, you know. So those are the kind of cassettes I still have. I still have hose with attitudes. Um uh, the cassette <laughs> I don't have them in my real life. Uh, but, um, you know, so those, like I said, those local bands, I still have a few of those, uh, type of cassettes, you know, that I went to shows and bought their cassette or whatever. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, um, like I said, all the ones that I recorded, uh, things off the radio or things of me and my friends or whatever, uh, those are all recorded. I still have those in a box. and And so I'm almost done. Uh, recording in everything, you know, that I want to record and, and, um, I don't know that I'll keep the cassettes forever. You know, I mean, once they're in and recorded, then I kind of feel like uh, that's captured and I don't need the, the real cassettes anymore. So there is a couple that I found. I should mention this, um, that are labeled mixtapes and mixtapes were a phenomenon. I mean, I think they were probably, uh, when people hear the word mixtape uh they think of john cusack standing uh, outside of a, a girl's windows holding up his boombox playing uh, in your eyes but uh you know mixtapes were this thing that you would make mostly i think you know guys made them for girls or girls made them for guys i don't think like i don't make i don't make any mixtapes for any dudes in my life um but uh th- they were um you know, like if you were trying to tell a girl something and maybe you didn't have the right words or or maybe, you know, but, feel, you know, uh, Peter Gabriel did <laughs> or whoever, you know. And then um, you would put together a, a tape, you know, would dub off different songs and and in a different order and maybe tell a story or, or whatever, you know. And it was very uh, personal, I would say. And, and, you know, so I have these – it's probably – These ones that say mixtape, I probably would not ever share with anybody, and they're not, you know, I mean, they're from twenty years ago or thirty years ago almost, Um, but they were like, you know, something that you made for somebody else, and that person was was uh, special to you, you know what I mean? And so, like I said, not everybody's a poet, not everybody is, you know, uh, able to, I don't know, whatever create art or something like that but you could you could take those songs you know and just capture that moment like what um you know how you felt about that person at the time or or whatever you know and and the thing is what's funny about them is when you go back and listen to them uh it takes you right back you know what i mean like like um and i guess you could do it with you know, a CD or whatever. I don't know that people did that. I guess a few people did or whatever, or, or even, um, you know, you could make a iTunes playlist for somebody or whatever, but, um, but you know, you go back and listen to it or whatever. And it's like, it all that stuff comes back. You know what I mean? All those, those nights of being in mid high and oh, does that girl like me? I like that girl. And, and uh you know you get that pit in your stomach late at night and you're like i, I you know i want to get this rod stewart song <laughs> let her know how i feel and uh i don't know kind of seems silly a little bit you know but it was definitely a way that um i don't know lovelorn kids try to express themselves you know so sometimes it works sometimes you got the girl Sometimes it didn't work, but uh I don't know that that was definitely uh definitely a part of cassettes that uh I kind of miss you know what I mean It was like taking other people's not really a remix but taking other people's stuff but putting it in a way where you were expressing yourself with with someone else's music, you know so anyway uh so the state of cassettes, like I said, I've got this box of cassettes i I can see them right here. And uh, I'm gonna finish recording the ones in, and then I'll probably the ones that, you know, I I may keep the store bought ones that aren't or not store bought, but like I said, like local bands and stuff, I may keep those. But as for the rest of them, once they're recorded in, I just don't, I I don't think I'm ever gonna have a cassette player in my car again. I don't, I can't imagine wanting to sit around my house and listen to cassettes. So uh, once uh once those are probably recorded in, I think I'll probably get rid of them. So. I hope I never have a car with a cassette player in it again. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? Our, um, I guess I can throw this, uh, we, we got rid of our minivan a few years ago, but we had a 2003, uh, Honda Odyssey, and that's the last vehicle we owned that had a cassette player in it. Uh, and it had a cassette player in the dash and also a CD player, uh, changer. And then, um, that was a 2003. My, I have a, Chevy Avalanche that's a 2006 and it just has a CD player so somewhere in between point A and point B 2003-2006 that's the last time that uh, we had a CD player or a cassette player in a car so but I think that's that's all I have on uh, cassette tapes that wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack thanks so much for tuning in If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodork, follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash You Don't Know Flack, that's all one word, or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through ThrowbackNetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64-themed podcast, Sprite Castle, at SpriteCastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at ThrowbackReviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at ThrowbackNetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack. You know, what 60 tapes did you lose? Shit, I don't know.